Warning, the following program contains material that may be disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. It's just Miss Rose, and it is Sunday, March 21st, 2021, and it is my only nephew in the world's 36th birthday. Happy birthday, darling. You know how much I love you. Now, you guys, yesterday on TikTok, I declared war against racism. Well, on my page, but the war is already going on against racism because it's a horrible it's it's a horrible idea it's a horrible system it's a horrible mechanism it's just horrible so it has to be eliminated and the only way that we can eliminate it because it's kind of like roaches you know people are people you could they can be racist but what we need to do is make it you know consequences to hate crimes you know people can't go around you know just killing people And because their skin is white, they get away with that. Now, I'm saying all of that because currently they are in, they're still um, selecting the um, Derek Chauvin uh, jury. And the judge has said that they're not going to move the venue or anything. So, uh, we black people, we already know uh, what's going to happen. We already know that Derek Sharpe going to get off because they've already given, you know, the um, Floyd family uh, $27 million. However, I was working on one of my clients that happened to be Caucasian, and he was like, oh, I'm sure Derek Sharpe is going to go to jail. <laughs> I said, you want to bet? Do you want to bet? I bet not. You know, I absolutely bet not. It's like we kind of already know it, us people of color. But what we need to do now is all of us BIPOC need to unify. The black people, we have to unify as a group. We have to agree to disagree at this moment and bury the hatchet, get over our differences, and combine our forces with the other so-called minorities, and voila, we outnumber 
the white supremacists. Okay? And there's more um, accomplices, you know, than there are uh, racists. Now, they might have some undercover, you know, you know, undercover folks, but just like roaches, once you turn the light on to them, they, you know, run. And a lot of people, you know, they feel comfortable on social media being keyboard uh, warriors and keyboard cowards and, you know, talking all this smickety-smack and what they're going to do this and that and the third, you know what I'm saying? So the best way to combat that is when you see something, say something. If someone is doing it to you, if someone's disparaging you, or if someone is bullying a handicapped person, or somebody is uh, trying to abuse the elder, instead of whipping out your phone and recording, whip out your phone and call 911 and jump and run over there and say, hey, stop that. You know what I mean? We have to, maybe have to, everybody have to, might have to get a taser so we can like gently tase people to stop. And if you see police brutality, that's the shit you record. Record the police brutality and call a a decent cop if there's such a thing. Anyway, we will be right back after this brief pause for for our fabulous sponsor. And I'm going to find an article related to this. Yeah, that was all of my ranting, but you know I'm going to look up an article. Because I was trying to figure what was I going to talk about today. And I'm going to talk about BIPOC solidarity. Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. We are back, y'all, but guess what? <laughs> it's Monday now. <laughs> After I finished that episode, I mean that segment, I sat down and fell asleep, y'all. So I'm still going to post this as my Sunday episode, but it is in actuality Monday. But I don't have to be at work until uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Monday, and it's currently 9.53 a.m. Eastern standard time. So I will be back in a moment with an article. Yeah, it's still, let's say, it's still the same episode. All right, I'll be right back. <laughs> well, this is just Miss Rose. I like to try to keep it as honest and real as possible. I know people don't really like all that reality stuff and that truth and all that, but too bad. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. I love you for listening. <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> All right, my lovely loyal listeners, we are on my subscription, <laughs> the WashingtonPost.com, you know, WashingtonPost.com, and we are in the Retropolis department and the name of this article is the war of races how a hateful ideology echoes through american history okay you guys now this 
was written by Michael E. Miller, December 27th, 2019, at 6.55 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. It was high noon on Easter, 1873, when the white mob came riding into Colfax. Five months earlier, Louisiana had held its second election since the end of the Civil War and the beginning of black male suffrage. But some whites had refused to recognize the result and former Confederate soldiers had committed acts of racial violence across the state. When a former slave was fatally shot near Colfax, Around 150 black men holed up inside the river town's courthouse to wait for federal troops. Instead, they were met by the mob. Boys, this is a struggle for white supremacy, one Ku Klux Klan leader told the mob, according to Charles Lane's The Day Freedom Died. Armed with superior weaponry, including a small cannon, the mob set the courthouse on fire and shot anyone who emerged. When some blacks tried to surrender by by waving handkerchiefs, they were mowed down and their remains were desecrated. Anywhere from 62 to 81 African Americans were killed, according to Lane, a Washington Post editorial writer. The War of Races, R-A-C-E-S, just in case anybody doesn't understand me. The War of Races proclaims a headline in the New York Times. The Colfax Massacre, as as it would come to be known, is one chapter in the long and bloody history of race war in America. It is the most radical of racist visions, an apocalyptic ideology driven by the belief that whites are in imminent danger of being wiped out. Though the ideology peaked during Reconstruction when the, coup, when the Klan began waging terror to roll back the advances of newly emancipated blacks across the South, it remains very much alive today. In the past five years, As white supremacy has surged in the United States, experts say there has been an uptick in attempts or plots to spark a race war. They range from Dylan Roof's slaughter of nine African Americans at a Bible study in Charleston in 2015, to a hatred-fueled sword attack in New York City in 2017, to the arrest this August of a neo-Nazi in Las Vegas who was allegedly making a bomb to assist in a race war. 
there is a tradition of this sort of thinking or fantasizing, said Mark Pickovich, an expert on right-wing extremists at the ADL, who called the ideal of race war a staple of hardcore white supremacy. The idea of race war tends to resurface during moments of intense activism against white racism, such as a reconstruction or more recently, the Black Lives Matter movement, said Ibrahim X. Kendi, a professor at American University and the author of Stamped from the Beginning, The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America, and how to be an anti-racist. By painting themselves as the victims, defenders of white racism have been able to galvanize large numbers of white people into their organizations. A threat older than the United States. The concept is older than the country beginning not with slavery, but with white colonists' anxiety over being outnumbered by Native Americans, according to Patrick Breen, a history professor at Providence College. There was a... Excuse me. Here's my water. There was a concern that there would be a genocide if the Indians united, he said. That fear then helped fuel centuries of violence against Native Americans. With the arrival of enslaved Africans to the English colony of Virginia in 1619, the same fear was soon aimed at blacks, especially in states such as South Carolina, Mississippi, and Louisiana, where slaves outnumbered or nearly outnumbered whites by the beginning of the 19th century. The Haitian Revolution, which ended in 1804 with the slaughter of whites who had not fled the former French slave colony, frightened many American slave owners, Breen said. The story they tell themselves, which is not exactly right, was that blacks got in control and began killing whites willy-nilly, he said. Before the Civil War, you had people who argued that whites and blacks could not live together unless it was a situation where blacks were under the control of whites. Pickovich said, they argued that if you had emancipation, you'd inevitably have race war. American slaveholders used this threat of a race war in the United States to put down revolts and preserve their power, as in 1831 when whites killed 120 blacks in the wake of Nat Turner's rebellion in Virginia. But some slave owners tried to tamp down on talk of a race war because they likely 
the likely outcome would have been the extermination of African Americans, according to Breen, the author of The Land Shall Be Deluged in Blood, A New History of the Nat Turner Revolt. Deluged. Anyway. Their ultimate fear was that the race war would happen and they would lose all their property, he said. The ideal flared up again in the lead up to the Civil War as John Brown launched abolitionist raids in Kansas and then Virginia. John Brown is basically saying, we can launch a race war, Breen said. The ideal had little appeal to African Americans, but the raids nonetheless stirred Southerners' fears. That trepidation intensified during the Civil War when many white Southerners went to fight, leaving their slaves behind. There are four million slaves on the home front and few white men, Breen said. The possibility of having a race war is certainly a concern. And I will be right back trying to read this, y'all. Right after this brief pause for some water. I'll be right back. I love you for listening. Where is this phone? All right, you guys. We are back on this 50th episode of... As the massage tip turns, and we are reading this article from the Washington Post. Now, I'm going to start back right here. The, their ultimate fear was that the race war would happen, and they would lose all their property, he said. The ideal flared up again in the lead up to the Civil War, as John Brown launched abolitionist raids in Kansas and then Virginia. John Brown is basically saying, We can launch a race war, Breen said. The ideal had little appeal to African Americans, but the raids nonetheless stirred Southerners' fears. That trepidation intensified during the Civil War when many white Southerners went to fight, leaving behind their slaves. There are four million slaves on the home front and few white men, Breen said. The possibility of having a race war is certainly a concern. Sharing that same concern was none other than Abraham Lincoln. The president feared that a guerrilla war by slaves in the South would make it hard to keep the North unified, Breen said. Instead, Lincoln encouraged slaves to escape the South and fight for the Union. Take the government back. When the Civil War ended, thousands of Union troops stayed in the South to keep order. Many of them were black. The presence of armed African-American soldiers stoked white Southerners' fears of a race war and led to false rumors that blacks were about to massacre whites, Breen said. Instead, it was whites especially the Klan, created by former Confederate soldiers who mainly did the massacring. The term race war was not used then, but the equivalent war of races 
was very much in the air, Lane said. Quite often, you'd hear opposition to Reconstruction and black voting rights in particular on the grounds that it would trigger a war of races. In Colfax, efforts by black militiamen to confiscate weapons from whites to prevent violence only fed into false claims that blacks were preparing an attack, according to Lane. Then, whites waged a war to literally drive blacks out of the courthouse and take the government back, he said. By 1876, that's exactly what had happened across the South as Klan violence and Jim Crow laws suppressed black voting and allowed white Democrats to retake power. White women have to be protected. With whites once again in control, there was no longer any threat of blacks waging a literal race war, Breen said. So, Southern whites began portraying African Americans as another type of menace. Race war isn't as powerful a motivator anymore, he said. What is a powerful motivator is trying to keep blacks in line within the sexual protocol of the South. White women have to be protected. That meant lynchings. From 1882... To 1968, nearly 3,500 African Americans were lynched in the United States, primarily black men in the South, according to the NAACP. Many were killed because of false accusations of rape. In perhaps America's most infamous lynching, Emmett Till was murdered for allegedly whistling at a white woman. Sometimes race war anxieties weren't martial or sexual, but economic, according to Kendi. The projection that black people were battling against white people was used to galvanize support to decimate Black Wall Street in Tulsa and the booming black town of Rosewood, Florida, he said. Race was largely faded from the national conversation during the civil rights era when leaders like Martin Luther King Jr. were at pains to portray their efforts at peaceful, as peaceful, Kendi and Green said. At the same time, white supremacy became less mainstream. After many of those civil rights leaders were assassinated, however, The rise of the more militant black power movement prompted white supremacists to again warn of, and in some cases, try to spark a race war. You have black activists who were very clear that their opposition was to white racism, Kendi said of the black power movement. The defense from those who did not want to interrogate white racism was to say that these black groups were attacking white people and thereby launching a race war. (coughs) 
from the Turner Diaries to today. By the late 1970s, white supremacists had shifted from trying to maintain white dominance to warning that the very survival of the white race was at risk. From the 1970s onward, white supremacy takes on an apocalyptic tone, says Pikovich. Race war is a part of that. Pikovich sorts white supremacist adherents of race into three categories. Reluctant race warriors don't want conflict but believe it's inevitable. So they prepare by stockpiling food and weapons, he said. Window of opportunity race warriors may or or not desire conflict, but they believe it must happen soon while whites are still in the majority. Finally, he said, there are accelerationists who want to bring about the destruction of society and see race war as a means to speed that up. That's what white supremacist serial killer Joseph Paul Franklin was trying to do when he targeted blacks, Jews, and interracial couples across the country from 1977 to 1980. The murder spree inspired neo-Nazi leader William Pierce to pen racist novels, Hunter, in which one man's quest to kill interracial couples sparks an uprising, and The Turner Diaries, in which such an uprising leads to nuclear war and the annihilation of non-whites. The latter book, in particular, would inspire generations of white supremacists from Oklahoma City bomber Timothy McVeigh, who had excerpts of the book in his getaway car, to The Order, a terrorist group that robbed banks, bombed a theater and a synagogue, and killed a Jewish radio host in the 1980s. It was a member of the order who would later pen the infamous 14 words from prison. David Lane's slogan, we must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children, reflects the demographic anxiety at the heart of white supremacy and its preoccupation with race war. 30 years later, America is once again in the midst of a surge in white supremacy, according to Pikovich and other experts. Today, the Turner Diaries is circulated online. Mobs no longer gather on horseback, but on college campuses or more often on anonymous internet message boards. Although it has evolved somewhat over time, the ideal of race war is a common thread that connects the Klan to Charles Manson and Dylan Roof, Lane says. Race war is an ideal that emerges at certain points in American history and fades at others, Breen said. What has made it such a powerful ideal, however, is not some real danger of a race war itself, but the politically useful nature of these charges. Politicians have used racially inflammatory rhetoric like this to help them attain power, whether by mobilizing one's base 
or suppressing their opponents. But long after the last ballots have been counted, the legacy of the racial demagoguery remains. All right, and that is the end of that article, you guys. And we're going to use that, actually, as well, because that has totally drained me. I was going to try to read another article, but guess what? I'm going to read that one on Just Miss Rose. And I'm going to read that one on my other podcast, Just Miss Rose. And I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode, this 50th episode of As the Massage Table Turns. Thank you for giving me your time. Have a fabulous day. Have, not a fabulous day. Have a fabulous life, but have a fabulous week. I'll see you on the other side.